Hello, listeners. This is Greg Stolze. Today on Leto Narrative Dissidents, we are going to be discussing the experience point, something everybody wants, but which I'm not sure has any kind of real-world cognate. So thinking about experience points as I was ginning myself up to do this podcast, I thought of them sort of in context of game design is often a game's rules are a series of interlocking economies. This is particularly true, and you can really see it clearly in a lot of computer games where it's like, I've been playing FTL lately again, and it's like, oh, I just, I wish I could trade missiles for drone parts. (laughs) And, you know, and you've got, all these different things you can spend to get improvement. But experience points are generally just, no, you spend them to get better and you earn them just by gritting your teeth and going through the, going through the actual episode of a a game sesh. Mm -hmm. And so, and sometimes or quite often you get them for something for doing something cool. And all right, what are what are things we have seen experience points rewarded for? Obviously, just showing up. Uh, Ross and I lately discussed Spawn of Fashan, where you got experience <laughs> points from gold and I'm, from hitting people. Yeah, yeah, I'm so James. Glad sorry, I wasn't we in on that one. I, I used to I used to own a copy of Spawn of Fashan. I sold it. I have no regrets. Yeah, <laughs> not as bad as Rumors State. Still it's, very bad. You can listen to that yeah. episode on RPPR on the RPPR Patreon. Uh, RPPR. Yes. I, I shall do that. The moment we finished here. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, what was that, James? Were you glad or were you jealous? <laughs> I am glad that you have recorded this fascinating episode. I'm also glad that I was not involved. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Experience points are really uh, interesting to me because they represent what like they're they're gatekeeping what your character can do like your character has a certain amount of capabilities when they're made and experience point systems are a way to measure progress i mean that's the typical thing right like to measure your growth of your character uh it's almost always a positive thing like your character's abilities improve uh mechanically in some way over time except in horror games well, even in horror games, like in the World of Darkness, you get more like in in Vampire: The Masquerade, you would get points, and that's how you'd improve individual stats. Okay, and skills. yes, and you and and learn that uh, you oh. know learn that one Tremere ability that lets you boil other people's blood <laughs> inside them. That I remember being pretty uh pretty unbalanced, but mm-hmm. yeah, I was thinking more of Delta Green Unknown Armies kind of stuff where. As your character, your character does get more experienced and better at things, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they also get ground down and injured. And there are games where you can get, you know, this is a permanent injury. You will never recover from this. Yeah. Your arm yeah. is just gone now. Mm-hmm. You are lucky to have survived. And anytime you've got to climb a ladder, or aim a rifle where you would normally have two hands on it, yeah, you're going to suffer a penalty. Uh, in in Delta Green in particular, it's like, oh, yes, your mind, not so good. You don't respond well to 
shocks, surprises, mm-hmm. shoggoths, uh, you know, <laughs> thing, <laughs> cer- yeah. certain what certain patterns that appear in clouds can send you scuttling to the basement to have a good cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you're now a crack shot with the rifle, which you can only hold in your one arm. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because that's not where our experience ponds came from. And as with so many other things, they came essentially from from war games. And they are one of the things that differentiated war games and role-playing games from other forms of games because they created this sense of continuity that you were doing stuff Mm. in a game in order to earn points that would make your character better so they would be better in the next game. Mm -hmm. This This is what we now call legacy stuff. So the idea this of the game like being an when ongoing thing. computer games invented the save point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, it's uh, except we did it first. Yes, of um, course we we did everything first except we did make tons of money. Mm-hmm. Well, actually we didn't do everything first because <laughs> being being the, the historian of the group. Um because experience points are bound implicitly as as Ross said with making your character get better with and in the early days that was leveling up. Mm-hmm. And yes. you know, literally, you, you increase levels. The phrase leveling up has been used an awful lot, particularly by the British government in the last few years. And people have been going, they nicked that from role-playing games. And I did a bit of research, and it's like, no, this is a phrase. Leveling up is a phrase that has been used, particularly in government circles, since the 1850s. Gladstone huh. referred to the problem of leveling up the Irish. So Ooh. I don't know exactly oh where it came from. But this idea of leveling, I think it probably came from the levelers, you know, the, the protest group who were about bringing everyone up to a, to the same level of society. Oh. And of course, Britain, a very class-based system with this, you know, almost implicit, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> this, not class and level. No, that's different. <laughs> but, uh, you know, class, so the idea of everyone coming up to an equal level within society, an equal level of prosperity, not an equal level of, of experience and being able to do stuff. But that's kind of what it means. <laughs> not not means access now. to the same feats. Yeah, I've completely lost my the no, feats. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wiped, wiped my next train of thought. In the early days, experience were implicitly good. It, there was no downside to gaining experience. If you got experience, you used it as a positive to increase your numbers. Um, and of course, because the early role-playing systems were very level-dominated, it was a one-directional thing. Your level went up, and sometimes you got some new abilities associated with that. And I think D&D is, is still very similar mm-hmm. today. You go up a level, and then you may be able to choose some skills from a skill pack but it's the leveling that's important. The experience experience points go in one direction. There's no shopping involved. And shopping is, is something that comes in later. Greg? In early D&D, it was always, you know, how many, how many experience points does this magic user need before I get cloud kill? Come on, come on. I'm counting down to cloud kill. This is going to be so... Yes, we've all been there. In war games, yeah, there, there, there. It was very un, uh, like a career path, right? Like you started mm-hmm. as a recruit, uh, and like in 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 the real world, in the military units, like the the experience of a of a given unit division, whatever, whether they're recruits or veterans, matters a lot because um, you know represents their morale, their ability to inflict damage on the enemy, and that that sort of thing. And early editions of D anD D had that as well. The numbers, you know, third level had a name. 
There was mm-hmm. a name for being a third-level cleric. There was a name for being a third-level paladin. I remember that. I, oh, yeah. Um, I think I think that was still around for a while. I'm not sure if it's in the current edition. Like, uh, yeah, I, I I know at a certain for certain editions of D, I think all the way up to eighty and D. I think it was all the way up until third edition. Like third edition, I think abolished it. But like in second edition early, I think it was like you got to ninth level. That was your name level. That's when you became mm. an actual fighter or wizard or cleric. Or oh, whatever. wow. Yeah. And, that's and there's when, some that tops yeah. out. I think the druids top out at like level 15. There is one mm-hmm. 15th level druid at, in AD&D, as I recall. Yep. Probably mm-hmm. wrong. And if you want to be, if you're 14th level and you want to get it, you've got to kill the other guy or convince them to retire, mm-hmm. depending on your the type of druid you are. But Welcome yeah, to the exciting but- world of dead man's boots advancement. <laughs> It's, it adds some narrative, some you know, sense of, of dynamism to just, I, I kill a bunch of stuff, this gives me either gold or nebulous points, and I am able to spend that to get better. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you get better in one great big granular chunk yes, as well, rather that than... always... Mm-hmm. But it's I pleasing. Mean, it feels it is. good. It yeah. feels great. I level up. <laughs> World of Warcraft does this amazing thing. You level up, this blast of light explodes from the top of your head, and it's, whoa, I leveled. See, yeah. You just yeah. fully super cyan that shit. Um, yeah. Well, I, uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, you bring up the super cyan because, like, that's the thing, th- this, what are experience points supposed to do? And, like, w- and I think part of it is, are these two things. One is to give this sense of accomplishment, right? Like, mm. to give the player a sense of victory in a game that doesn't have like win conditions, right? Like, I mean, uh, or they are the win conditions uh, because this is a collaborative game, right? Like you're not fighting against the other players. You're not saying I win, you lose, except in the, the you know, reward. the early. So yeah. Yeah. The reward is I have a cooler character now, but it's also narrative. The reward is continuance <laughs> yeah. of play. Yeah. Uh, I get to play more and now my character is more survivable, but it also represents like your improved character also, should represent like your character, your players better mastery of the system. You understand these basic mechanics. So you got to a new level. So here's new abilities. Here's new game mechanics to try out and we'll give you more interesting challenges, you know, monsters, adventures, whatever for you to tackle. Uh, But also narratively, like there are certain genres of stories, particularly like the, the heroic adventure uh, or, in more uh, modern parlance, the shonen uh, uh, genre of like, I'm starting, we're going to follow this narrative of this character who's starting out as a student, as a kid, as a teenager, uh, you know, on their first steps of their path to their destiny. And we're going to watch their progression over time. And Dragon Ball Z is perhaps the most popular and the most like well-defined of this type of genre. We watch as Goku gets better at martial arts and becomes a Saiyan and then a super Saiyan. And so like, emulating this narrative element, but also giving this player a sense of uh, accomplishment and a a type of fun. So like uh, it's a very versatile mechanic, which is why we see it so much. I mean, okay. So what have you seen people get XP for? Uh, What do different, different systems give you XP for different things? I've seen them where it's like, Okay, you can get an XP by drawing a portrait of your character. You can get an XP mm-hmm. 
you can get XP by keeping an in-character journal. You can get mm-hmm. XP by bringing pizza for the gang. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bribing the GM is yes. yeah. It's Wikipedia oh, actually has a really good. useful breakdown of the dis- different systems, the different ways that you can get experience points and mm. the different ways that they work. Um, and that, oh, I have no Lord. idea who wrote this stuff, um, but they break you're, it down. In- you're cheating, James, but I'll allow it. <laughs> It's it's a shorthand. It's I mean we could bat around the subject for half an hour, but this is just it gets to the nub of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, level based progression, which we, which we've already talked about. Activity based progression, which is where individual skills and individual stats go up. Mm-hmm. Traveler, Call of Cthulhu, basic role play, so the Chaosium stuff. Freeform advancement, which is where you get points, but you can use them on pretty much any of your skills. GURPS, the hero system, the World of Darkness, all do that. Cash in advancement, which Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay uses, so you can purchase advancements like levels, skill points, new skills, um, base attribute points, whatever you want. They also point at Final Fantasy Thirteen, which, as I recall, is one of the shit ones. Um, <laughs> no, that's yes, it is. It is. Do not. How do you really feel, James? It's, um, yeah. I have a great fondness for some of the Final Fantasy games. Uh, Thirteen is is a bad one. Um, hybrid systems. Um, an advancement system which combines elements from two or more of the above types, fairly obviously. Third edition sure. D&D, it talks about also Ragnarok Online. Um, and then it talks about video game systems. Because video games have embraced this stuff just automatically. Because as we were saying in an earlier episode, particularly about initiative systems, when the computer's doing the bookkeeping, you can get a lot more numerical mm-hmm. and you can do a lot more, more stuff with it. Damn so. They talk about perks. They talk about remorting, which is when you reach a certain level and you just go, you know, I think I'll, I'll start all over again with the points I've already got. I'm rebuilding your characters, power leveling, and uh, the stuff that um, is more present in computer games but does exist to a lesser extent in, in tabletop, which is grinding. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. The idea of just, you know, leaving the narrative behind and just going, I need the points. What I need is the points in order to get whatever it is, the next skill, the next package, the next spell, the next level. And I'm just going to do that, particularly in an old-style role-playing game, by killing stuff and nicking its treasure. And it was certainly early editions of D&D. You literally, you could, you know, not only spending experience points, but also spending gold as if it was experience points, ostensibly to buy training, though you never actually spent any time training. You just basically bought your levels. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, old man, can you show me? Can you show me your secret sword cut? Well, I, I have five minutes. For, yeah. <laughs> I shall do it for fifteen thousand gold. Okay, can you can you take that in emeralds? I got a lot of emeralds. Yeah. Yes, yes, emeralds are acceptable. Now, when uh, uh, thinking about like how you earn experience points, um, I do remember mm-hmm. early old D anD D had interesting mechanics because it was also thematically. Like it was a game about loot, getting treasure, going through dungeons, and thematically, at least in earlier editions, you gained experience for not only getting tre- for tr- spending treasure. Like you didn't get the money until you you didn't get the experience points until you went to town and blew it all in the tavern, right? Like that was the thing. It was uh, I put that in rain. Yeah, I put in an oh. option because you don't get gold. You don't get experience for gold but i put in an option where it's like yeah if you just go out and blow money on you you can turn money into xp with this option 
however you explain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and there, one of the, the options was, you know, I'm just going to go get real drunk all the time. And I'm like, this is, this is totally in keeping with Fafford and the gray mouser mm-hmm. for th- these guys would always find some cache of pearls or rare spices or something. And then at the start of the next short story, they're skint again. They mm. blew it all. Mm-hmm. Of course. It was yeah. given the choice between emulating Fritz Labor and not emulating Fritz Labor, I will usually emulate Fritz Labor in everything but pill abuse. Yeah. Um, of course, later on, D&D went more to like killing monsters specifically and different monsters gave different experience values. Uh, in, mm. And I know this was in AD&D in third edition. Um, and I think more recently, D&D has moved more towards a milestone, which a lot of systems do now, yep. which is like you've achieved every at the end of every session, you get something at the end of every story, you get something. And um there, for yeah, example, thirty part days. ways along along the street. For, you know, for killing a mini boss, yeah. essentially, mm-hmm. you you get something. Yeah, um, which again, it's great. It rewards you. You finish a chapter. You feel get that sense of of you are succeeding within the story. Literally outside the story, you step us outside. It's it's almost a meta currency. I don't think it is. I it, think it's it's a well, currency. You can, I think you can flow it into meta currencies. Another option I stuck mm-hmm. in rain because I'm like I'll just throw everything in the kitchen sink in there. Is it's like oh yeah you know if you want you know you can you can why you can can uh, hoard up your XP and spend them to permanently increase a stat or skill or you can just blow an XP and be like I'm just gonna turn this die into a master die for one roll or something mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you can just like get a Benny and you know now your your XP system is. Also, your fate point system. Done. Like you can make mistakes with this kind of system, though, especially when you mix in meta currencies with this. Seventh um, C, the second edition, received a lot of criticism because their experience system, like you were supposed to get like X number of XP at the end of a, a, a session or a story, but then you would gain additional bonus experience for every leftover drama die that you had, and drama dice were their meta currency that you're supposed to spend on the fly to gain bonuses on rolls. And that kind of thing. And so uh, what would happen is obviously no one would want to spend drama dice because they wanted XP <laughs> at the end of the story, and which is very counterintuitive to what a swashbuckling game is supposed to be like. There lies yeah. an insufficiently playtested system. Yeah. A swashbuckling game of caution and conservation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so I've never played second. I have actually I've never played seven C, but like it's just I remember it getting kickstarted when it came out. People there was just a wide range of criticism uh, among that. There are several issues, so it's, it does sound like it wasn't play tested. But um, you can certainly mess that up. And in fact, your experience system is a really it, because it gives you the sense of accomplishment and and encourages you to learn the system so you can get the new abilities and try do new cool things with it. It's a really important part of any RPG, I would think, I would argue. Uh, Mm -hmm. But which is interesting because if you think of like a lot of role playing games are meant to emulate fiction, right? Like to give you Mm. the the chance to be your favorite character in this genre of movie or TV show or novel or whatever. But characters in movies, especially, but also in TV shows, outside of the shonen genre, outside of young adult, outside of heroic fantasy, like they don't, uh, there's not outside usually, of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, outside of the when, Dragon Ball Z type stories, you don't have like characters who dramatically improve 
their you their combat when and their does skill Walter abilities. White yeah. level up. Yeah, exactly. Walter White goes through an emotional journey, but he's yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, they change as people. They don't mm-hmm. change as you know. They don't buff up. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into Robin Law's uh, argument about the difference between. I'm going to just steal this right from Robin. <laughs> Hi, Robin. If you're listening, I'm in your house stealing your ideas. Um, <laughs> he talked about a distinction between iconic characters. And I'm trying to remember what the other one was. It might have been literary characters. And so mm. a literary character develops over the course of the narrative. Mm-hmm. The the character, you know, starts out, accepts the call to adventure, learns what they're doing, finds out Darth Vader's their father, becomes <laughs> a Jedi. And, and at the end, they are transformed. Or it might be... You know, college student or college professor, if you want to get really literary, it's college professor has an affair with his student, regrets it, realizes he would have, he should have stayed at home with his wife the whole time Mm -hmm. and, you know, comes clean to her and their, their marriage is tested, but ultimately stronger for his betrayal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas an iconic character is someone like Sherlock Holmes or Tarzan or Batman where- Or Conan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they start out really good at what they do, and they end up really good at what they do, and they don't really change. There's no point where Sherlock Holmes is looking back on past Sherlock and going, "What a what a fool I was." Um, it's I'm, and that I'm, that I'm moreover slightly differently. Sorry, I'm jumping in here because was this was this the forward to one of the new hero books that uh, Pelgrim Press put out? I don't remember where I read it. Stoneskin Pressing. I I remember it being iconic heroes change the world around them but are not changed, whereas literary heroes are changed by the world around them, but the world does not change. Mm. I can see that. Part of the point was nobody cares about Sherlock Holmes's feelings. Yes. Nobody cares about whether he – you never get – Sherlock, the scene of Sherlock being sad. Yeah. And I think you can actually, you can divide role-playing games into two camps, essentially, the ones with iconic heroes and the ones where the characters have feels. And, uh, you know, D&D is very firmly, you're meant to be an iconic character. You will get better, but as a personality, you're essentially there and you are changing the world and you are clearing out dungeons and slaying evil dragons and stuff. And the world is supposed to be a better place or depending on the campaign you're playing a worse place because of you, mm-hmm. but you're not supposed to grow as a personality. And if you do, that's kind of an accident because the game has no mechanics for that whatsoever over to, you know, the stuff that started emerging in, in the nineties. And I think vampire would desperately like to be one of these, although it would like to kind of have it, have its cake and eat it because you want to kind of be the iconic hero. You want to be the one that's changing the world, but at the same time you want to have your, the back of your hand nailed firmly to your forehead going, oh, oh, the pain, the pain I feel in my soul if I had a soul, but I don't because I'm dead. Why, all of that. why must I do all these extremely cool things that are nevertheless <laughs> bad? And now I'm 20% better at r- picking up heavy objects. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Or having 20% more super strength. One more dot in super strength, essentially. Uh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, we will find out where Robin said these clever things, and we will put them in the uh, the article on the the website. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that goes along with this episode. Yeah, 
Um, I and, and I think there is an important distinction between like a character's emotional uh, growth and like or change or progression, their character arc versus like their technical abilities. Like, they're what can they f- do? What are they? What can their abilities accomplish? Um, because there is a distinction. Like Walter White does have this does change fundamentally as a person. Like he becomes for one thing a murderer. Like he kills people. <laughs> Um, mm. and, uh, th- I mean, that's in season one, that's pretty early on. So, uh, and spoilers, man, Yeah, spoilers for a show that's been on out for a while. Um, but you know, later on you, you could argue, oh, well he gained levels in criminal, obviously. And he gained all these criminal abilities and, uh, or he gained all these hard notches and, you know, et cetera. It would there change we go. His abilities. Um, so yeah, Unknown Armies is actually kind of an interesting game because most role-playing games have your experience means you're you're basically going through graduate school of crime fighting or adventuring and um, you're getting better and better at that, at those tasks, but emotionally crime it's like fighting whatever. or yeah. crime enabling. Yeah. And, but in unknown armies, your character's emotional state and like how hardened they are, how dead they are to the world also represents what they're good at. You know, this was the last game I played. My character got all these hard notches stacked up and, and, tipped over into burned out, right? Mm-hmm. And suddenly this guy who had been, you know, really great musician and really personable as now just this sort of staring, needy, ropey mess of a human being trying desperately to find the time and find someone who can help him unfuck his head. He's just like, I just want, I need to, to process someone please help me process and there were mechanical consequences to this burnout Mm -hmm. that you know it impacted his abilities at the same time that it protected him uh, from freaking out whenever bad things happened he would see a bad thing happen and go like eh well it's bad, but I mean, I, I'll get a shovel. It's, it's fine. We'll deal with it. Yeah. It's not like what they did to Milu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and yeah, because I think most role playing games are still stuck in the, in this war game tradition of your character's technical abilities. Uh, there mm-hmm. are, I guess, you could say they're not maybe not war game, but still very, as Robin Laws would say, very procedurally focused. There um, we go. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so there's a question. So that that's sort of an o- opportunity of like. How does your emotional state infect? Uh, obviously, it impacts your technical abilities. If you're an emotional wreck, you can't, you know, disarm the bomb or, or sneak up on the bad guy as well. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting challenge, you know. And one thing, um, one challenge, that I, and a lot of role playing games are are interested in realism, quote unquote, right? But like one thing that role playing games don't really do, as far as I've seen, I'm sure there's exa- counter examples you can come up with, but like there's this thing in the real world called perishable versus durable skills. Right. Um, and this comes up in Delta green because, uh, uh, people with perishable skills are very technical and require constant practice and training in order to be, to stay good at them. Okay. So like I was great at computer hacking 10 years ago, but now that I'm out of jail for computer hacking, I, you know, I can't do shit because I couldn't keep up with my computer hacking. Right. Or even jail. Yeah. Or even like uh, special forces, like at a high level combat, you know, firearm skill is a perishable skill. You have to be, you spend a lot of hours on the right gun range and going through, uh, you know, and especially for combat stuff, you have to go through those more complex things where you go through a warehouse and shoot at moving targets and that kind of thing. Uh, because you you have to have your reflexes honed as 
much as possible to have that edge because it's all about who gets a bullet in the enemy first, right? Um, so those are very and so like those special forces guys, what separates them from regular soldiers is they spend you know 50, 60 hours a week every week training and training and training to stay that good and get that uh, half a tick faster. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. I mean, and this is okay. Having done, you know, having gone to a dojo for years and years, there is, you know, parts of it are like uh, riding a bike. It's mm-hmm. like once you, once the pennies dropped on, oh, okay, I know what a Tekagami feels like. I know what it feels like to execute this thing. I know what it feels like when I have off-balanced someone and they're wobbly. Right. And that's a durable skill. so, that's a durable skill. But at the same time, I mean, people who tell you that the martial arts, if you learn the martial arts, you don't need to be big and strong. It's like, "Mm, uh, if you learn the martial arts real well, your margin for... you. it goes up like ten percent, right? Like ten or twenty percent different. Like you can if, take it down you, a ten percent larger if, dude. If yeah. someone outweighs you by sixty pounds, that changes. Yeah, things. the margin isn't that big. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's not magic. It's mm. you cannot overcome physics. But at the same time, there are things where it's like, okay, yeah, if you do this perfectly. Yeah, you don't need any strength, speed, or weight advantage, but how much of a margin of error do you want? Mm-hmm. And the fact that doing it over and over again will make you strong, whether that was your goal or not. You can't do this a bunch of times over the course of several hours and not, you know, you'll be tired at the end and then the next day you'll be a tiny bit stronger. And if you do that for a year, well, guess what? Whether you wanted to be strong or not, you are. So it, yeah, part of it is like riding a bicycle, but part of it is also like, yeah, if you, in fact, I will go further and say that it's a lot like riding a bicycle. After a certain level of technical skill, you will never lose that. You will always be able to get on the bike. But if you were someone who could hop on a bike and bike 20 miles easily, and then you piss off on that and spend a summer eating pizza and drinking rich golden German lagers, you are not going to be able to jump on a bike and ride 20 miles. You are going to be able to stay balanced just fine, but by the end of the block, you're going to be wiping your brow and huffing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do, uh, experience points do an okay job of modeling that, honestly. But it you, comes down to how how simulationist do you want your role playing games yeah. to be? Mm-hmm. Really, you know, how far towards Phoenix Command are we going to go? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there there would be solutions. That, like one could simply be like a character priority thing. Like if you don't, you can sacrifice your home life or your like. There's a lot of games now that have like Delta Green and Red Markets, for example, that have home life home work balance, right? And so, like, you could say, <laughs> you lose your skill, you could be like, oh, here's a game where if you don't sacrifice your home life, you're going to be worse at the skills you do on your job. So, like, that, uh, in fact, actually, Red Markets kind of has that, you can, you can, but, the, well, because Red Markets, the experience point is also the currency, the literal currency, it's the bounty. That's what you use for everything, mm-hmm. right? And you can give up bounty on your home life, let your dependents suffer in order to, uh, Gain more experience. Uh, you use that bounty for something. Damn shame about that Nintendo you wanted, kid. But Papa needs a new. Yeah, exactly. Bow. Or needs time on the gun range to practice or get better at shooting guns. Um, yeah. Uh, that. Yeah, but I don't know. I I just think of that as an interesting uh, uh 
could be an interesting focus for a game, right? But like that would be the one complex system in it because otherwise, yeah, it would get too much like Phoenix Command. Um, I'm kind of curious about like what experience systems both of you like. Like James, are there any experience systems? Uh, well, this is I'm yeah. kind of yeah. uh, no really. I really played a lot of D and D with my kids over mm. lockdown and. A couple of times they had to say, what about experience, Dad? And I was just going, oh, you know, I was just enjoying the story. <laughs> that, is, that is the most James Wallace answer I can imagine. It's, I mean, I didn't begrudge it. I just literally forgotten. Um, because mm-hmm. I did get to a point with certainly uh, Oz Magica, which we've talked about, but also when I was playing D&D back in the 80s and the, the early 90s, um, where I kind of got happy about sixth or th- seventh level, and my character was fine there. I was enjoying that level of power. I didn't particularly want any more. Um, the level of kind of politicking and intrigue that I could do at kind of city level was very satisfying. And it's just, you know, I was into story growth and character growth, personality growth, rather than more power, more skills, more more abilities, more numbers. Oh, and one thing I was going to drop in earlier on, one of the things about a lot of experience point systems, particularly with iconic characters, is the numbers tend to be quite big. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your your attributes may be on a scale of 3 to 18, but your experience points will be measured in hundreds or thousands or tens oh, of thousands, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it feels powerful and the numbers get bigger and it's tangible. And this is something that, that video games have, have carried on with as well. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, when we the big ass Magicka campaign we played, it's I think my character to get moderately better, but all his skills were completely they weren't shit. He was very very good at theoretical magic, which had absolutely no use within the campaign that we were playing. <laughs> Just kind of the point of him, um, and you know, so he was he was very good. The point of he my character from- is uselessness. Yeah, having but- leveled up, I am now twice as useless <laughs> as I used to be. His his primary skill was taking the credit for things that other people had done, which is quite <laughs> useful. Um, yeah. But I was thinking, I'm wondering, I mean, you look at a lot of indie games and a lot of indie games are designed for short campaigns or single session play, and they don't really lend themselves towards it. But the mechanics are pushing into this, you know, more personality-based, more character traits stuff. you know, so your, your character develops stuff. Um, thinking about Bluebeard's Bride, it's about the experience. It's about what you. It's not. It's about experience. It's not about experience points. Right. Well, but it's a very uh, one shot game. Yeah. Sorry. I was mm-hmm. thinking particularly about what's uh, how I handled getting new abilities in uh, the fuge fugue system, which is what I developed for Las Vegas, which is it's an amnesia system and it's designed for a four session campaign. And the idea is you start off with nothing. Your character sheet is literally blank. You don't even remember your name. But and you discover in play. You discover in play. Anytime you need an ability, you can go, okay, I'm going to, I, I need knife skill. And the, uh, the, uh, the dealer, because it's all, by, the mechanics are based around tarot cards and it's set in Vegas or something like Vegas, goes, okay, what's your flashback? And you, you know, you remember using the skill in the, the, the life that you have forgotten. And you go, oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, that was it was in a bar and someone pulled, you know, smashed a glass on me. And I just pulled this knife or this steak knife off the table. And, and I, you know, whatever it is. So you get the ability, but you get a memory with it. Uh-huh. And because it's a very specific memory, it's usually one that you have to pull up on the spur of the moment. It's quite spontaneous. Right. It's not pre-thought. 
the the when you were talking about that the the first skill that came to mind was sexing chickens <laughs> which is you know, the the ability to tell the gender of a chick yeah uh, whether it is a male whether it is a a hen or a rooster in like less than a second people yeah. who are professional chicken sexers are just grabbing these birds and stuffing them uh, yeah, sorting <laughs> them instantly. Them and, may have been the wrong phrase, but um, well, no, it's, sorting yeah. them into male and female categories with tremendous accuracy that has always struck me as I'm like, someday I'll have a character who's good at that. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be pointless. Oh, yeah. If that's what you want at a, a sudden point, you can. Yes. Oh, I remember how to sex chickens because there was that time. Like there were these chickens. I remember when yeah. I remember my grandma showing yeah. me how. Yeah. Down on the farm in Texas. Mm-hmm. But as the game goes on, obviously your, your memories start to interlink, not least because the GM can also give you memories and other players can give you memories that they are also in. They can remind uh-huh. you of something. Mm. Um, or you, you try you know, to sell this they, game, this sounds cool as hell. You can give someone else an ability, but it is, a, it is associated with a flashback that they appear in. So it pulls the group together. And mm-hmm. all of these, like, they jigsaw together and you create, you remember who you were. And because it's a role-playing game and because it's a world where you have to do bad things, you remember you were bad people. Uh, and I'm really pleased with it. as a yeah. piece. But there's no experience points as such. The characters grow, they change, right. they learn about themselves, starting with a blank canvas, admittedly, which is kind of a almost a cheat. Mm-hmm. But, no, you no, know, and not, you, get to, you but... get to the end of four sessions... And you're kind of done. Your character is pretty much complete. You knew who you were. You you remember all the bad stuff, and you've kind of come to terms with it. And I've, I'm not going to spoil my end game that is still on sale. But yeah, um, well, let me tell you how I did experience with Dying Breath, which isn't out yet. Um, hmm. the The playtest of it has been halted because one of the the players is away for the summer. But Dying Breath gives you you have three skills everyone has the same three skills and it's body mind humanity they are extremely 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 broad you roll them for everything but underneath them you have details and details give you you extra success so it's like oh well i'm gonna punch this guy but you know so that's a body roll, but because I have the detail of pugilist, I do extra damage. And because I have the other body detail of physically powerful, now I do extra, extra damage. And so at the end of every session, if you have fewer than five details uh, under all of your your stats, you can just pick a new detail. Mm-hmm. And you can, uh, and the fun part for the GM is that details can become corrupted or damaged. So, you know, pugilist could become short-tempered pugilist. And now you have to roll your body to resist the temptation to freak out on anyone who insults you because you're short-tempered. So the higher you raise your body roll the worse your bad details become. Mm. That's interesting. And so there there are options for, okay, I'm going to turn my bad detail good instead of taking a new detail. And I've been running this campaign uh, for a while, and so now everyone is all full up, and so that's making me reconsider Mm. 
All right, what happens when you're full up? Because your character, your character literally can top out. You your uh, your skills are percentile based, mm-hmm. and they can't get higher than a certain point. And your details are limited in number, so you can have a maximized character. Uh, but again, like other, like we've been talking about this being a horror game. You're, you can can have these ongoing problems, most of which take the form of corrupted details and bad details. So, for instance, if you get shot in the face, I could, I the GM can, you know, one of the things that can come out of the rules is, you know, give this give this character a bad detail, and it's like, okay, the bad detail is you're blind now. Because you got shot in the face, your character is now blind, and there are a whole bunch of things you can't do anymore until you buy off the bad detail of blindness, which in this case means you haven't you know, regained your eyesight. It means you have adapted to it, and you are now mm-hmm. no longer completely hindered and completely debilitated by it. And, you know, blindness is an extreme example. I'd probably be more likely to go, you know, no depth perception. Right, right. Yeah. Or, you know, you've got, you, you're one-eyed. And, you know, that is going to, that's going to come up. People are going to look at you funny because we live in a very shallow and appearance-based uh, society. But, um, you know, I like the idea that, okay, Experience is good and bad. Details are good and bad. Um, you know, things that happen to you, you will get. But, but again, it's not a. It's not experience points. I've moved away from them because they're so abstract. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want another example from my own design, uh, termination shock. You don't get experience points, but at the end of, uh, yeah. At, it's supposed to be at the end of every session. Sometimes it's, you know, at the end of every plot phase where, you know, the GM's like, okay, you guys have finished something off. So we're going to do advancements. And the way it works is like, okay, I'm going to offer you either a new ability or a new hit point in one of these three categories. In Termination Shock, you have social hit points, intellectual hit points, and physical hit points. And you can get up to double your starting hit points. But also, hit points for social and intellectual hit points are a currency that you can spend to buy literal objects because it represents all the work and confusion and effort and social capital that you are expending to acquire, you know, your improved laser gun. Mm-hmm. So you can constantly be grinding up your intellectual and social hit points and then spending them to get new gear. Or you can be like, oh no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this new exploit that lets me pilot spaceships. You know, I'm going to take a new permission uh, or, you know, I'm going to improve my ability to shoot guns. Now I can't, you know, now it's not just hand weapons. I can shoot emplacement weapons like on a, you know, like the turreted gun on a spaceship. So your character grows, but it's all within constraints set by the GM because they are like, okay, in this episode, 
you conned Big Frankie. And that's not easy to do because Big Frankie's pretty smart. So I'm either going to give you, you can choose between a new social HP because your, your, uh, your reputation has improved, or you can take this exploit unflappable that sometimes when you succeed at a role, it'll do extra social HP damage to other people because you're so cool. Which do you pick? Right. Um, yeah, I, I think role-playing games in general have moved towards that um, using experience points in a modular way, right? Like being mm-hmm. able to spin them to fine-tune your character in very specific ways. You know, obviously Warhammer Fantasy did that. Um, uh-huh. And if you look at... Can I level up my small but vicious dog? Yeah, exactly. You are, you get <laughs> your, your dog training skill uh, and that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, in Warhammer Fantasy, you would have, like, a certainly milestones where you've spent enough experience, you could advance your career. You get all these new benefits. But um, yeah. another thing would I'm be... I'm no like, longer a mere blackguard. I'm an assassin. Right, right. And... I think a lot of role playing games do. In fact, very few games now do the level thing of old D and D, where mm-hmm. the balancing was in like, oh well, the fighter, the the thief is the weakest class, so they level up at twelve fifty experience, and the fighter oh, gets like two thousand experience, and the wizard is the most powerful class, so he needs twenty five hundred experience twice of the thief in order to get to level two. That that kind of thing is sort of gone out of style but you know it's only a matter of time before he gets cloud <laughs> yeah but it's got to take him twice as like the thief's going to be have so many more levels than the uh, wizard <laughs> that yeah. thief's going to be picking so many pockets yeah he's going to be doing very well but like even uh, i'm playing actually 13 a uh, 13th age campaign now where we we level up incrementally where we uh, oh. you know each level has these level types of benefits right like a better attack better saves n- new new feats new skill points and at the end of right. each session, we make a check mark on uh, from a menu of options of like, oh, do you want your hit points for this level, the next level? Do you want your your savings or do you want your attack bonus? And when we make enough check marks, we just get everything for that level. So we get so at the end of every session, we get some kind of incremental impl- improvement, but we don't get that's the full neat. benefit of the level. If you're gonna be a level based game, yeah, that's a that's a neat way to do it yeah. instead of the jackpot approach of get everything you know, at once oh yeah. this session nothing this session nothing this section nothing this session this session everything mm-hmm. i also yeah. remember uh in apocalypse world you would get like the mint you'd like when you when you get enough xp you you wipe you erase the list and you get it you check mark a new thing from your menu of options but also in apocalypse world most of power by the apocalypse games uh, you would get XP for failed rolls, which I like as a. Ah. I was trying to remember where yeah. that came from. I have yeah. a note in my in my notes about it's it. It's in there. It's also mm-hmm. an unknown army. Ah, yeah. I I I'm trying to remember if that was even in first edition, where the idea because I remember playing Call of Cthulhu, and it's like, oh, when you succeed, put an experience check next to your your ability. And I'm like, man, so now success is double mm-hmm. cool and failure is not just and, and i'm like in my experience i've learned so much mm-hmm. more from failure than success so yeah in unknown armies if you fail a tech if you fail a skill roll it's like well you know failing a skill roll in a horror game is usually a gigantic drag and something very bad is going to happen to you so here Here's a little gold star for you, buddy. Here's a little consolation prize. You did not 
pull your friend out of the that alligator's snapping jaws, but you're real motivated that the next time you have to pull something with your athletic skill in a crisis situation, you're going to be a little going to go a little harder yeah, but there's also the, the certain structures of role-playing scenario where failure is really failure is where you advance the plot mm-hmm. um you know succeeding in in horror is mm. actually kind of dull because it ceases to be horror at that point it is it, you know part of the dread of a, a good uh, horror thing is the failure and we were talking about dread a few weeks ago oh yeah, yeah. disagree yeah. but okay I think it's, it also depends on the type of failure, right? Like in, in, in a lot of horror. Yeah, and the type of horror. Yeah. Like if it's investigative, you want, you want to be able to succeed at like finding the thing so you can figure out where the monster is and then fail the rules to get away from the monster. So you can, yeah. Uh, or at least one. Yeah. That's a more interesting or story, right? It, yeah. it can be that, oh yeah, you know, the more you understand this, the worse it's ultimately going to be. It's like, oh yeah. If you're oblivious, you don't know that the chief is in on it. And mm-hmm. but if you roll your success, oh yeah, you know, you're the chief's put you on this case cuz he was hoping you'd get killed. The chief is one of them. And, you know, and you know, if you succeed still more, or at least he's knocking off your wife. Yeah, if you succeed still more, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, the whole system you have been uh working within is mm-hmm. corrupt. And trust no one. Yeah. Go. Good luck sleeping next to your unfaithful <laughs> wife tonight. I kind of do want to talk about what experience points. You know, we talked about like what they do and how they do it, but like, are they worth it in a sense? Like, because the idea, as we talked about, like a lot of characters, they don't really fundamentally change. And like, I think a lot of role playing games are em- emulating. Uh, like I said, heroic literature, also like the the uh, the the genre known as the Bildungsroman, the the the, mm. the the growth of a person from a child to adulthood, right? Like that's sort of the narrative right. arc of a lot of role playing game characters. The zero to hero, right? The chosen one, and mm. the way role playing games accomplish it in a lot of times, in especially in the more complex games, is that the game basically fundamentally changes from the starting point to the end point, right? Like D anD D is uh dnd and lancer would be really good examples of this like they start out rather complex and they only add on to complexity as you add on new abilities new status conditions um new adversaries and so and yeah and to a large number of players that's awesome that's great and that's very fun but even games like vampires certainly like elder vampires are very powerful world of darkness characters are fundamentally different from a starting level you know uh, uh, novice or initiate or uh, whatever term they use. Uh, the worst vampire yeah. is still better than the best human <laughs> by and large. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like powerful It'll, vampires are like onto gods. Yeah. At, at least in at least in the stuff that yeah. vampires do, like killing people and being sexy. And the 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 question is, I think, when your experience point model demands that you add new systems, new mechanics in order to have Mm. novelty that, Oh, here you're getting into the real game now. Like 
um, does that actually add to the detriment of the game? Because as James was talking about, I was happy when my character was at a mid level, like at sixth level, seventh mm. level, and D and D goes up to like ten or twenty, depending on what edition you're going to. Higher. It's what was it? The immortal set for for basic D and D in the eighties. You could go up to some ridiculous level. Oh yeah, the Beckme uh, version where you could become immortal, like level thirty six or something. Dumb like that. <laughs> yeah. I never heard of this. This sounds crazy. Yeah, it stands for basic yeah. expert companion, master, and immortal. And basically, you would become you would literally become deities in, in this type of DD once you reach a certain character level. And then you'd be fighting other gods and like godlike beings yeah. and titans and that kind of thing. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's no, a module. No, you suck, Ares. <laughs> yeah, basically. I, I want to say five coins for a kingdom. I could well be wrong here. It's 30, 40 years since I read it. But I think there's a 5,000 hit dice monster in it. It's mm-hmm. like, what? You're not actually meant to kill it, but you could if you wanted to. If you've got nothing better to do. Yeah. You know, if you want to spend roll dice for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Part of the inspiration for Rain was I remember, and I, this was probably second edition D&D, where when your fighter got to a certain level, it's like, okay, now you own a keep. Now you are landed gentry and you have these knights who show up expecting you to be their leader. And I'm like, that's random. But yeah, I want to know how much, how's my land doing? Are my peasants, are my peasants revolting or thriving? <laughs> Do we have a cheesemonger in town? Uh, is the is the rye harvest doing well? And I'm like, there's none of that. It's just, they just hand you a castle and you're expected to go and continue the kobold genocide. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to know. I want I want to stop being the guy to whom quests are given and start being the guy who decides what the quests are. Yeah. And yeah. that would be a fascinating experience turn. It's like, okay, you've reached fifth level. Guess what? We are now going to take the domain management rules from Rain and apply them to you guys. Because remember how you saved that village? Well, the mayor just died and they are begging you to be their leader. And remember how you defeated the church of the the, the poison chalice? Well... All the prisoners who got freed from that are looking to you to reintegrate them to society. And, you know, you are now powerful and influential and admired enough that you are political figures mm-hmm. leading the uh, you know, leading the less powerful common folk. They are looking to you for leadership. And so it's like you go from being this shady gang of murder hobo rogues. And it's like, no, man, you got responsibilities. People are expecting you to take care of the town. Yeah. Yeah. You out for which, which requires a completely different skill set, which requires a completely different rule set, a completely different rule set. So you can either try and keep the same experience point system, only funneling them into different abilities now, or you can just buy, you know, lean into that and go, no, your rewards from this, the whole structure of the game has changed, as you said. The rewards from this are very different. You don't need to be faster in combat anymore. That is now an irrelevant skill to to you. And the rewards you're getting from being good at the town, you get the adulation, you get the tax dollars, your town gets bigger. Not Your, your combat speed doesn't get faster, but your town gets bigger. That's kind of a reward in and of its same right. I think has the the same sense of satisfaction 
if done correctly, that you get from the blunt tool of experience points, from big numbers getting bigger and saying that you are more powerful. You're still you're getting more powerful. It's just you're more powerful politically now. You're more powerful mm. in terms of, we talked about the class and level system at the start, within the class system of the world. You are, you are becoming higher class. Not you're not leveling up. You're you know, uh, you're you're gaining Look status. upon my poshness, you mighty, and despair. Yeah. So I think as games go on, and as we evolve as players, and as we evolve as, as games, and as the market evolves, there is certainly I have felt, and I, I Greg, I'm guessing this from you as well, Ross. I, I suspect it. The sense that experience points in the classic form, which are, they're a very, very blunt tool. Mm-hmm. And so abstract. Yeah. It's just, but we like numbers. Just human beings, we like big numbers. We like to watch our big numbers get bigger, which brings me on to something we've not talked about yet, which is the way that most people encounter experience points, which is in gamification. Mm-hmm. Outside mm-hmm. of role-playing games, you do a thing, you get points for it. And you've watched your point. I to- have an app on my phone that gives me titles for how well hydrated I am. Wow. I get points for um, doing stuff, you know, for occasionally doing a task which gives me very small amounts of money on Google. I get supermarket loyalty points. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, I've got 16,000. And what's that worth? That might be worth eight pounds. Maybe mm-hmm. 16,000 points and, you know, and you do a thing and it's random rewards at random intervals. It's one of the classic hooks for gambling. It's, oh, you did a shop and we're giving you a, you a reward this time. You've got 15 bonus nectar points and that's worth literally seven and a half pence. Mm-hmm. That's like 10, <laughs> 10 American cents. And But you feel good because you did nothing for this. And it's, oh, no, they have they have recognized your your loyalty. This is where most people- I spent part of my weekend at the hardware store, and I'm like, I'm using the hardware store branded credit card, and I'm getting a discount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is where most people who are not gamers and do not play games are encountering this stuff because it's one of the fundamental pillars of gamification, this process mm-hmm. of using game mechanics in people's real world uh, experiences to foster loyalty and, you know, bring people back to the, uh, you know, to doing things over and over again, just as it works in okay, role-playing so- games. We talked about it at the start, the, you know, if your character got big or got better at the end of last session. You want to come back in a week's time and do better things with your better character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you want to go back to the stuff that stymied you before and you'll be like, I stepped up now. Yeah. Like- I can get that level two hacksaw at the hardware store this time. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you yeah, you so are literally guys- talking to a man who bought a circular saw yesterday. <laughs> I get it. Nailed it's it. so loud, um, James. Oh my God, it's deafening. Yeah. Oh, and I bet that makes you feel good. Um, <laughs> so it was, yes, all of this stuff. This is how, no, it's, I, I have a point that I'm building yeah, yeah. towards, though Greg's talking about circular saws has distracted me. <laughs> Sorry. We are surrounded by the experience point mechanism these days in our everyday life. All of these cards and systems wanting us to, to buy into their loyalty system to get the points and watch the points go up and watch the numbers get bigger and get the rewards. And I think for a lot of games designers, we're kind of going, well, we're doing this all the time anyway. Is this still fun in games? Let's. What can we move on to? What can we do 
differently within the games. And obviously, you're never going to take it out of D&D. It is one of the drivers for D&D and that whole school of, of game oh design. God. But the more games are about the sort of characters you come across in books and movies, the more you need a, an, an experience system. I'm not even going to say experience point system that kind of rewards that or models that or engages with that type of experience. And I don't, I don't have any snap answers. I don't have a, this is what we should do. What I'm saying is there's an awful lot of people trying an awful lot of stuff out there. And an awful lot of games that are kind of moving away from James. Oh, good. Uh, Because I've just Uh, remembered what we did with paranoia. But tell me your thought, Greg. Is it about circular source? It was about the uh, gamification in real life. And I'm like, okay, so imagine if, when if the reward was they see you they understand who you are as a person and it's like okay yeah greg so because you've shopped so much at the piggly wiggly this is one of the cards i have is you know i get pig points is they're like we've noticed that you're always buying these pastries that you (laughs) seem to like your breakfast pastries you know the 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 apple empanada is your most frequently purchased item. So because of that, hey, we're going to give you, you know, free empanadas for a week. Here you go. And it's not, you know, the reward would not just be, oh, I got a price break on whatever. It's that, like, wow, it's like they know me as a person. Can you imagine this getting, you know, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, this is your your Citibank visa. And we noticed you to reward you for having used your Citibank visa for 15 years. We're going to send you a copy of this book we think you'll really like. It's the leather bound hardback edition of this weird South American, uh, you know, magical realism novel imagine if that happened and you're like oh shit i never heard of this book but it's really good city bank visa loves and understands me mm-hmm. i'm that- i'm thinking about um do you know stitch fix it is a a it's basically loot crate for clothes where you get hooked up with an actual person who is like, here is the kind of clothes you should be wearing. I have taste. (laughs) Let me help you. Please, God, let me help you. (laughs) And, you know, and so I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what you need is to have after, you know, after you reach some immense point of your gamified, gamified, Citibank Visa Rewards points, your flight miles, your pig points from the grocery store, something. An actual person analyzes your purchases and says, oh, I know what this guy would like. And shows you and, and they just send you the thing. Here it is. Here it is. Here is the Holy Grail. The thing that makes you happy that you never even knew existed. But instead of this, we're going to get 10 million AI bullshit rewards. Mm. Yes. Yes. Because 
I mean, having having an award, a book you've never heard of, show up and it being your book—that's almost kind of creepy, I think. Mm-hmm. But no, this this does tie. It would depend on how good it was. Yeah, but this—I mean, speaking of systems that know and love you, this ties into what we did with <laughs> uh, with the paranoia reboot. Um, because one of our ideas was that somebody had given the computer a manual on gamification. So there are no credits anymore. You are not doing you are not rewarded with credits. You are rewarded. The computer gives you XP points for completing missions. Not and and uh, asking what XP stands for is treason. And the GM <laughs> is instructed to say XP points every time because there is a certain type of player who will be driven slowly mad by that. Um, I was quite pleased with that. But yeah, so it's gamified and there are achievements as well. If you're the first player to, to, you know, to knock out a rogue drone this mission, you get a bonus 500 points and you can trade them in. James, you're a monster. (laughs) It's it's such fun writing. There's also, there's a meta joke involved in there because, of course, there was an edition of Paranoia called Paranoia XP, named after Windows XP, and was hit with a cease and desist by Microsoft. (laughs) So... Then reintroducing XP points back into the world of paranoia. Um, but yeah, the idea of a, a, a world in which, no, there, there are no experience points. There are literally X, the computer, the person that, you know, is giving you XP for this mission. I was so pleased with that. Had, there's a couple of edges on there that I think of another few months of development. But it's you know commercial role playing game development. You don't have a few yeah. extra. You, you never finish a game. You abandon it. Like that's you the, abandon uh, it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yes. But just the idea and and the perfect system for it as well. Paranoia. At some point, you have to stop yes. picking at yeah. it. So yeah. So that was kind of my taking the piss out of experience points, mm-hmm. taking a, you know um, doing a, a satire on experience points by putting it front and center. It's not a meta currency. It's literally the currency. The place runs on XP points, but you can't give them to other people. You can only spend them with the computer. What we see in role-playing games going out into the wide world, the gamification of everything. Aside from like those applications, also in video games now, um, Mm. large video games have their own teams of psychologists and other experts to develop skitter box psychological reinforcement systems and have multiple currencies. Some exist inside the game. Some are premium currencies. And the idea is to create these complex systems that keep people engaged and hooked, basically weaponizing that sense of accomplishment for getting bigger number (laughs) in Mm. as a, as a sort of joy in games to keep people psychologically addicted to it. Uh, Yeah. The whole of the free, free to play game market, the mobile game market is Mm -hmm. based around this stuff because it's free to play. Mm-hmm. But they want you to spend money, and they want you to start and then continue spending money. And I'm not going to lie. I'm seeing it in Alpha Bear. Oh, sure. There is a level that I have not been able to crack, and I'm like, do I want to spend 10 bucks to get this and that? And the uh, you know, and there's, there's at least – how many currencies are there in Alpha Bear? There's at least five currencies interacting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and and every game is yeah. like that. Like anything that has a budget to uh, exploit things, or like uh, you know, uh, Diablo Four obviously has just came oh, out has a massive complex God. economy already. We as tabletop game designers are not responsible for how it has been used in the wider world. I would no, say. but at the same time, it does mean that our players we created a thing of yeah. beauty, and you've made it a weapon. 
Yeah, or at least you've made it something that players are now familiar with and are kind of getting bored of to an extent. And Mm -hmm. it's on to us to do something better and more interesting. I I think interesting ways in which our players can grow and change. And there's always a level where players are going to want to get their characters are going to want to get better at, Mm -hmm. at stuff. But it doesn't have to be with this blunt force. Here's a bunch of points. Spend them on stuff. Yeah. Though players do love shopping, yeah. shopping in games. Mm-hmm. I will give an example from the uh, the game I was running of Dying Breath is that, you know, this character had been through this terrible experience uh, and, you know, had had committed a firearm murder for the first time in her like 45 years of life. But had, you know, got out of it and, you know, it was it was a him or me situation. And I'm like, what do you want to take for your detail? And the player's like, I want to take stared into the abyss and shot it in the face. (laughs) (laughs) And then like two episodes later, there is this this extremely tense showdown in the alley. And now suddenly guns are coming out and people are pointing guns at each other. And one of the GMCs is like, you're not going to shoot me. And, you know, the player's like, can I roll uh, humanity and and get the bonus from stared into the abyss and, and shot it in the face? I'm like, yes, you can. And I'm like, there is something in your little old librarian eyes that tells him this is a mistake and he backs down. <laughs> <laughs> so this is... This is okay and and I'll 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 rhapsodize here. Mm. This is why we play the game. These moments of callback, these moments where the character has become richer and more developed. And yes, you could you could do that by offering a menu of off the rack abilities that you can buy with a universal experience point currency. I'm going to buy up intimidation because my character is scarier now, but I feel that, yeah, we can do better. We can make this personalized, humanized, specific to this character. You can have a detail that no other character has, and it's not that much harder than having the giant laundry list of skills and abilities. Mechanically, that ability worked like any other. That detail was just a detail. And yet, the meaning to the player and the characters and the other players and the GM was unique because of the history established by the experiences that character had undergone. Yeah. Something to, instead of having like one universal experience point system where you can just spend it to get level up any given part of your character, which I think is the more common thing now, right? Like um, you Mm, get, you got, you got, you got the level up, you got the advancement so you can spend it on your skill, your stat, your, your special ability, whatever. Um, You know, I have been uh, for the last month been playing a lot of the new Zelda tears of the kingdom game. And that is a role playing game because you you do level up Link, you do improve Link's abilities, but like it's a very granular system because you can improve Link's health, uh, his stamina, you can uh, gain new inventory spaces. But each way you do that is through a different system of like mini games or tasks or quests to do. So in order to improve his health Hmm. or his stamina, you have to either solve the shrine puzzles, you have to find the shrine, solve a puzzle in the shrine. 
and then you get a, a currency. And once you get a certain number of currency, you can t exchange it for a new heart container, a new stamina container. Or you could find these little correct, these little these little guys with these little uh, items that you can turn in to gain new inventory space. So like a tabletop role playing game where like you had two or three things to keep track of. And like one was like your character's emotional thing. One was your character's procedural thing. And one for their supernatural, unnatural or like, you know, something, something else. And whenever you did certain things, like maybe it was a personal quest, you know, like their their motivating factor or there's something about their backstory. Find out who my real dad is. Yeah. You, so you have <clears throat> three, three currencies to keep track of and each currency only improves certain things. I think something like that would work because, you know, like. We haven't one thing I, I did see like, it. and yeah. I, you know that that care that players would be so frustrated. It's like, man, I've got so much personal growth, but what I really need to improve <laughs> is my ability to conquer illness and disease because people people keep poisoning me. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. That would be worth playtesting. Um, you know, one thing I did like uh, advantages and disadvantages are a common thing in a lot of role playing games, right? Like in GURPS and World of Darkness. And it used to be that, like, you would gain, you would take a disadvantage at character creation to get more points to make your character better. And mm -hmm. the, then the thing about that that sucks is that the GM would always forget, in my experience, to, like, oh, yeah, your character's got one hand or your character's got this one uh, weakness to silver or whatever. Well, I mean, there are two ways that can derail. Well, the new way to do it is uh, the character, you can take these disadvantages. They don't give you an advantage in character creation. But if you invoke them during gameplay, then you would gain bonus experience. In that case, that's how Rain does yeah, it. Yeah, that's how Rain does it. That's how uh, Red Markets does it, except for willpower. Uh, but that world, the new World of Darkness does it, I believe. Chronicles of Darkness. Um, and I think that's a better... So if you, the character, if the player could like customize what improved currency ac experience system A, B, and C... Uh, then like they would have control. Oh, I want my character to have big dramatic scenes where they're vulnerable. All right. Well then that will be tagged to this thing. And then this will be tagged to this. And I don't know. Uh -oh. I think, I think that's, uh, that would be an interesting, interesting way. There's to, something yeah. there, Ross, hundred percent. Oh yeah. It's the challenge to that design is how do you create the valve between the abstract aspect of it and the concrete aspect of mm -hmm. it and it's it's tricky but it's not beyond it's not you know it's, it's tricky but not impossible yeah you should pursue this ross no have have a new game on my uh desk <laughs> next week with this yeah, yeah we need something for the actual play at the end of the season oh that's Let's true with yeah, that. yeah. oh yeah uh, I, yeah, I would just say like playing the new Zelda game is like, I've been thinking a lot about game design cause man, that is a incredibly well-designed game. Um, but yeah, no experience is a really, uh, uh, a fun thing to think about because it's, it's something, one of these assumptions of role-playing games, we don't often think about it's just there, right? Like it's not something that right. is like initiative systems or like special spill spells and abilities. Those are things we talk about. Oh, this feat is underpowered. This feat is overpowered. This blah, 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 blah. But experience is something that's just, well, it's there. Celerity. Yeah. <laughs> Celerity. Yeah, exactly. You know, I do like the Lancer system too, which is like, you survived the mission. Good job. You're, you're better now. There's a, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, yeah. it's, um, it is satisfying. It's, as a games designer, I want to do these, these beautiful narrative intricate systems. Part of it is the callback, right? Mm. You want the things you've done in the past to matter. Yes. And experience, the, the basic experience system 
was sort of the first gesture at that, but I think we've iterated it a little bit into a more personalized, more universal thing where it's like, okay, yeah, the fact that you are better at fighting is not just tied to the fact that for the past five years we've been playing D&D and your character's been fighting all the time. Yep. It, it, it can be tied to this specific event, this one uh, literary style, you know, this is the point at which it changed. This was the turning point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I'm trying to I'm trying to mess around with that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy with how it's worked out in Dying Breath. Cool. I was just going to say, I think you know, as a designer, I want to come up with these beautiful systems that model the way that I perceive characters in in the fiction I write. You know, the stuff I see in the in the books and the art that I I love, and I want characters in games to be able to advance like that. And at the same time, getting a wad of experience points and just going, now I am more powerful is intensely satisfying. <laughs> it's really pleasing. So there is no there's no literary equivalent. Yeah, it's I mean the kind of is, but it tends to come along with magic swords. It, you know, you get a big sword and it gives you power. If there's a literary equivalent, it's because it's by a writer who played a lot of role playing yeah. games. Yes. And it's interesting because there are, I I know at least one award-winning serious novelist who's had books turned into Amazon, you know, highfalutin Amazon series, who grew up on fighting fantasy solo game books and role-playing games. Mm -hmm. Um, I will not name them to save their blushes. Um, But, yeah, so this stuff is getting through into the mainstream now. And this kind of perception, though, obviously, the person I'm talking about is, is, uh, you know, a brilliant writer there's an awareness of this other way of handling character growth and the sensation and the pleasingness of being able to go through that as, as well. It is a delicate balancing act as, as a games designer. Um, and it is very tempting to just go, here's a bunch of points, go shopping, buy stuff, how, you know, have a really great 20 minutes, all the things that you've been leafing Gamers through. Gamers do love their shopping. They do. I mean, that's large chunks of most rule books are essentially shopping lists. Mm-hmm. The spell lists, the equipment lists, no all the rest of that. detected. Mm-hmm. You know, and now you can cash in. Now you've got the money to do that. Uh, when, the- you're, when you're generating your character, you're... Your advantages. It's like, oh, what is my new character going to be like? Well, I can buy all these advantages. and Yeah, or so. I can buy out. You know, I, I took short-sighted, and now I can go in. I can have the, you know, I can use experience points to pay for LASIK, and now my character has perfect vision, and I don't have that <laughs> minus two on all my combat rolls anymore. It's really pleasing. It's And to get it, it all it at once. It feels like getting away with something. It really does. It really does. So, like I say, it's a balancing act, trying to find something that is that is that pleasing, but at the same time creates the sense of a, a rounded character, yeah, not just that's a character. Exactly. I think, I think at the up. end of the day, it's all about having the satisfying, like, story. Uh, and that involves, like, a character arc. Like, you want your character to, yeah. like, have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and not just be a flat line. <laughs> you know, mm. you want it. And you yeah. can't define it too tightly mm-hmm. Or else it becomes tropey and stereotypical. Yeah. Uh, did you see the the Oglaf that was fairly recent about the dad blade? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Oglaf is a very and not safe for work comic usually, but it is. It is. It is but very this funny. one was yeah. safe. 
And but the the premise of it is the sword that gets more powerful the more the man acts like a stereotypical sad dad. Mm-hmm. And so as he's fighting these these giant worms, he's saying things like, "No, I must live, or else my par- my children will grow up fatherless, just like me." <laughs> and the punchline at the end is like, "Well, have you told your kids you feel this way?" That's just sword talk. I don't give a shit about them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and on that note, <laughs> uh, yeah. happy Father's yeah, happy Day, Father's, gamers! Yeah, yeah. Uh, for at least in the U.S., I think it's uh, in September in uh, definitely in Australia. But um, do you get Father's Day in England, James? I got a lion, and my kids might be French toast. Oh, Actually, I think my wife nice. might be French toast, and my kids claim the credit. Uh, but um, nice yeah. teamwork yes uh, it's <laughs> it's beautiful to see them grow into their skills at taking credit yeah. for others work. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. good good for, for careers their, and from their old man's at ours magic character yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's your callback well, happy there's your call day. yeah exactly yeah perfect there's a callback it's so <laughs> satisfying a whole arc for this episode yeah great every yeah. every listener just had the little dopamine switch mm-hmm. in their brain go down and they're all just saying uh yeah <laughs> well thank you all so much for listening to this episode um enjoy your dopamine listeners yep. you're welcome uh i would especially like to give a thanks to uh the last backer uh from the kickstarter who got a shout out that is laszlo sedonia uh thank you so much laszlo sedonia oh i should be thanking laszlo sedonia oh. i know that name. oh you do great uh yeah he is my most reliable fan i'm gonna say uh i I picked that name up because you know that's a great name Mm -hmm. i made him a minor character in my book mask of the other oh nice Uh, you know he's he never appears in the actual text but characters talk about so do you think laszlo really laszlo zadonia really does have all those underworld connections oh undoubtedly (laughs) (laughs) amazing Uh so yeah Fantastic. Thanks, Laszlo. Yeah. Shout out to Laszlo. Yeah. Um, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, a role-playing game, which I think does not even have an experience point system or a very minimal one from what I understand. Uh, and that is the sci-fi classic uh, Traveler. Uh, and I, be- Traveler. I believe we're using the getting. 2022 Mongoose second edition version because there mm-hmm. are many... Many it's versions of Traveler, of Traveler. <laughs> is one of the things it's, I've learned about Traveler. Uh, it's like Linux. It's yeah. forked. Yeah, boy, they, they <laughs> love to fork. Uh, and um, yeah, so thank you so much. Uh, be sure to check out our website, LettoNarrativeDissidents.com. We'll have a link in the show notes where we'll have more complete show notes, uh, links to all the games we talk about, uh, and links to, of course, uh, and Olaf. Yes. Uh, yeah, we'll have uh, we'll have one to that one specific comment. Do not look at that website uh, if you're. Uh, it is very not safe for work. It is extremely funny and uh, it is extremely not safe for work. Um, uh, my favorite Oakloffs are the safe for work ones, they are but they good. are yeah. what like 40, 35 uh, percent, probably twenty percent is my guess. Uh, it is yeah. a very. It knows what it is, and uh, it, it's a it, it's it knows its market. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is in the tradition of Rabelais. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And uh, thank you so much. I hope you all gain some experience points from listening to this episode. <laughs> Level up, grind that game design skill. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, crunch, crunch, crunch. Uh, yeah. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. Cheers. Cheers.